Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. If, not, if I have not met you, my name is Jordan Coughlin. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant. Uh, normally, I am right there leading us in song, but today I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you. Um, if you have a Bible with you or if you have a phone with a Bible app, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to be looking at it quite a bit, and I'd love for you to follow along um, in, in your Bible. My family and I, if you don't know our story, moved um, to the Atlanta area about two and a half years ago during COVID. Would not recommend that, uh, but we did it. And we came to Christ's covenant. And among other things, we, we just had to learn the things that were new uh, about Atlanta. We, we grew up in the Northeast, my wife and I, and so we, moving to the South was a different experience. And so we kind of had to learn the, you know, the, the climate and the traffic and how people are just nicer here than the Northeast. It was a surprise to us. Um, one of the educations we didn't know we needed uh, was that SEC football is a significant topic of conversation in normal daily conversation uh, in the South. And we, we were unaware about this. And so what I, what I discovered is that there were games that I didn't know existed. There were high school recruits that I still don't care about. There are, you know, these amazing events that have happened that, that I did, did, had no clue or had faint knowledge of. Another education, again, that I didn't really know I needed was that of fight songs. College football, particularly SEC, it seems like fight songs are a pretty significant thing and test of your devotion to, to your team. Now, I did a little research. I won't inspire you or bore you with the details of that, but I did pull up some lyrics of fight songs. So, for your edification. Auburn, here is their fight song. War Eagle. Fly down the field, ever to conquer, never to yield. War eagle, fearless and true. Fight on, you orange and blue. Go, go, go. On to victory, strike up the band. Give them hell, give them hell. Stand up and yell, hey, war eagle, win for Auburn, power of Dixieland. There is Auburn. Alabama. Yeah, hold your applause. Yeah. Alabama, yay, Alabama. 
drown them tide. Every Bama man's behind you, hit your stride. Go teach the Bulldogs to behave. Send the yellow jackets to a watery grave. A little specific, don't you think? And if a man starts to weaken, that's a shame. For Bama's pluck and grit have writ her name in crimson flame. Fight on, fight on, fight on, men. Remember the Rose Bowl. Not sure why. We'll see. Win then. Go. Roll to victory. Hit your stride. Your Dixie's football pride. Crimson tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. That's Alabama. Georgia. Hail to Georgia down in Dixie, a college honored fair and true. The red and blackers are standard proudly at waves. Streaming today in the ages through, she's the fairest in the Southland. We'll pledge our love to her for I to that college dear will ring a cheer. All hail to dear old UGA. Verse 2. Hail our varsity of Georgia, thy sons will e'er thy glory sing to thee, will ever be faithful, loyal, and true. Sounds a little bit like a hymn, doesn't it? Ever and I will thy praises ring, grand old time of ours at Georgia, the happiest days they'll be always. Alma mater, fail, fair beyond compare, all hail to dear old U-G-A. Now, obviously that doesn't represent all college fight songs, but those are a few of them. Words that evoke passion and emotion, camaraderie. But what draws out the power of those words is not someone reciting them. It's tens of thousands of people singing them, right? It's a band playing behind these words. Now, I've not been to an SEC football game yet, but I've heard that it's a very moving experience. But do you know what's even more moving than a college fight song? Tens of thousands of people, according to the Lord. It's when Christians gather together and sing. Sing to one another. And so today, not because of football, but because we're in a series, we're going to consider the topic of singing to one another. This is, this is actually part two of a series that Jason began in January. And if you're like me, January is like forever ago, right? So to refresh your memory, Jason began our year by starting a series called Life Together. And, and in this series, we're considering a few of the one another scriptures in the Bible. So there are 59 one another commands in the New Testament. And these commands are to help us understand how we are to relate to one another as Christian brothers and sisters. And as I was considering this series, I, I just think there isn't a better series for us to go through. Because we live in a world of division and isolation. And we need God to speak into that saying, this is actually what I have called you to be and to look like and how you are to relate to one another. And one of the important truths that we need to understand in this series and particularly even in this message is this. God did not save you to be a lonely, isolated individual. He saved you and then he brings you into a family room and says, surprise, Here's your family. God saves us into a family, into a group of people, into a community. And, and so we need to consider what that looks like, what this family is supposed to be. 
And so that's the series that we're in. For the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at different one another scriptures. And I'm, I'm excited to consider those with you. But today, we get to consider singing with one another. And so we, before we turn to God's word, let me, let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that in these moments, Lord, you would speak to us. We don't want to come to your word assuming we know what it says, assuming that because we've read it before, therefore we have nothing to learn. God, we want to sit under the authority of your word. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's the question. Why do we sing together? Why are our Sunday gatherings a place where a significant amount of time is devoted to singing together? My contention is that singing is not an optional exercise for the Christian. It's essential. It's essential. And so we're going to answer that question, why do we sing, in three ways. First, answer to the question, why do we sing? Because God commanded us to sing. Duh. This is our passage, right? It says, sing and make melody to the Lord with all your heart. Now, this is just one of over 400 references to singing in the Bible, including 50 direct commands to sing. So, why do we sing? Because God told you to sing. Let's pray. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's not all there is to say. But that's significant, right? God commands you and me as Christians to sing. But there's more. Point two, because God's spirit dwells in us. And this is where we turn our attention to our passage this morning. Because God's spirit dwells in us. Now, to bring you up to speed, we're jumping into the book of Ephesians. So I just want to bring us up to speed on what it's saying. So Ephesians, if you read it before, chapters 1 through 3, gives this grand theological treatise of all that we have in Jesus. God has reconciled us to himself. He's reconciled us to one another. And then chapter 4, it transitions with the important words, therefore. And Paul says in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called of what he's talked about in chapters 1 through 3. And then chapter 5 kind of continues that idea that, because of this calling, we're supposed to do something. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so then he begins to talk about in chapter 5 how because of that reality, you're, you're children of God, you now are to imitate him. In other words, you're... Your journey to hell has been stopped. And God has now placed you on a heaven-bound path where you as saints are called to follow God, to image God. And so he begins to talk about how there's things to put off now that belong to your old way of life and things to put on. So we're called to put off foolish talking and sexual immorality. And we're called to put on other things. And so that brings us to our passage where Paul gives three contrasts. Look at verse 15. 
He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's the first contrast. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's our second contrast. And then verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's our third contrast, and that's what's going to lead us into this question of why do we, why do we sing together? Because singing is connected to this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of confusion about what this means. What does being filled with the Spirit mean? Is is this a feeling? Is this something I do? What does it look like? How do I know when I'm filled with the Spirit? Can I be half filled with the Spirit? Maybe you're just scared of the Holy Spirit altogether and you just look over this passage altogether. The Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit is, is important to understand. Because it's part of our new life as a Christian. And so simply put, here's here's what I think it means. Being filled with or by the Spirit of God is experiencing the fullness, the glory, and the influence of knowing Jesus. So being filled with the Spirit of God, being being filled with or, uh, or by the Spirit of God is experiencing the fullness, the glory, and the influence of knowing Jesus. That happens by the Spirit. The Spirit, as Jesus told us, is the helper. He is going to help us to experience who God is. And that knowledge leads to transformation in our lives. We become more like Jesus the more filled we are with the Spirit of God. Now, what does that have to do with getting drunk? Well, there's both similarities and there's contrasts. The similarities are found in this influence, right? When you get pulled over, not that I ever have, but if you get pulled over intoxicated, you literally are driving under the influence of alcohol, right? Alcohol influences our brains and our bodies. Similarly, being filled with the Spirit of God is increasingly coming over under the, the influence or the control of, of the Spirit. And so we can believe that being filled with the Spirit actually leads to some sort of transformation in our life. There's another similarity in that people who are intoxicated, who are drunk, have an appearance of of joy and happiness, right? Well, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you should be joy. You should be joyful. You should be happy. And so so there's, there's similarities there. However, Paul is also making a distinct contrast between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. The first is, is in its results. Being intoxicated, drunk with wine, leads to debauchery, a, a life that is disordered, that is, that is ultimately ruinous. It's not governed by wisdom. Being filled with the Spirit is directly the opposite. It is being 
controlled by wisdom. It leads to wise living. Being drunk is, is trying to, in many ways, escape reality, right? We get drunk because we, have the, we feel like we have the right to escape the problems of our life. Well, being filled with the Spirit is not escaping reality. Being filled with the Spirit is actually experiencing true reality. It actually stimulates us by remembering this is what's true about God, about me, about this world. And so there's a distinct contrast between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And while this is not a message on alcohol or being drunk, I do want to give a warning that Christians and their lives should not be defined by what the world says is fulfillment and joy and happiness. They're trying to find it. Christians have it. And so while we can use the gift of alcohol, as Christians we have a better life and a better answer to the question of what does it look like to run to something for joy and fulfillment. It's the Lord. We don't have to go to the emptiness and the debauchery of being drunk. So, God has given us this spirit and we are being filled with this spirit and we're seeking to understand God more. So what happens in a Christian's life when those things are happening? Well, according to this scripture, they sing. They sing. A result of being spirit-filled is we, we sing. Psalm 59, 17 says this, O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. A Christian sings in response to a God they have related to or known. We sing because we know God. And so a real practical question for us is, do you sing? Do you sing? What does it take or what moves your heart to open your mouth and to sing? It could be that God is calling you to a greater experience of the Spirit's work in your life. He wants you to more greatly encounter who he is. And so then the question is, well, okay, well, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, here's, here's the good news. Glad you asked. Singing is not just a result of being spirit-filled, i.e. Christians sing, it's also a means by which we are filled with the Spirit. It's also a place where God strengthens our faith, which is amazing. And so that leads us to our third answer for why do we sing? And we're going to camp out here for a little bit. We sing because God wants to encourage us. He wants to encourage us, which is amazing. Singing is not meant to be a joyless, meaningless thing we have to do. It's an invitation 
to experience something magnificent, something that strengthens our faith and moves our souls. And so how does this, how does this work through singing? Well, before we get into the text, I just want to pause and I want us to consider for a moment the gift of singing and music and, and just marvel at God's creative genius in this world. So I want you to imagine a world without music, all right? No soundtracks for movies, no Christmas carols, nothing to listen to when you're happy or sad, nothing but talk radio and podcasts, but even those don't have music. We would have trouble memorizing because God has created our brains to be able to memorize things better when they are attached to melody and, and songs. Why you can remember songs from 40 years ago. We can't remember what you had for breakfast last night. No fight songs. No elevator music. It would be a pretty terrible existence, life without music. But God, because he is the source of all goodness, has given us the gift of music and singing. It's an incredible gift. Martin Luther once said, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. It's, it's amazing. And so I just want to do a little example of how this is amazing, okay? So I could say the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Amazing gospel-filled words. Or I could sing them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. It's different. The words are stretched out. There's melody attached to it. Now, let's sing it together. If you know parts in harmony, sing parts in harmony. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just sing, okay? <laughs> Let's sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. beautiful, isn't it? That's the gift of singing. And singing reminds us that the glorious truths about who God is and what he's done are not just meant to be studied and 
taught and preached. They're meant to be sung. They're meant to be considered. And we haven't even added music yet. What a gift. What a gift that God has given to his people. Singing encourages us. That's the way God made us to be. But our passage also says it gives reasons for how God encourages us as we sing. And so I just want to look at three of these briefly. So God encourages us as we sing to one another. To one another. So we're instructed by God that our singing is not just to the Lord, but rather we are to address one another in song, which is strange when you think about singing in the church, right? Why are we coming here? Well, we're coming to sing to the Lord, right? Yes. And God calls us to sing to one another. God wants us to have an active role in building one another up and encouraging our faith. We just experienced it. The presence of hundreds of voices singing something together encourages us. It, it, it can strengthen our faith. And, and this is an important thing for us to consider, what it means to sing to one another. Because a lot of us have bought into a misunderstanding of worship that says that singing and worship primarily exist for my own individual experience with God. And so I come to the gathered church not as a corporate experience, but so that I can receive something. And so the band and the lead vocalist, because they have better voices and their music sounds good, I can choose whether or not I participate in that, but it all is kind of seen through the lens of what I need or what I want. And, and I think God wants to correct that and says, no, when the church gathers together, your voice and participation matter here. It's not optional. God has called you to encourage, to teach, to strengthen one another's faith. You have a part to play. And so when we play music and when we have mics that, you know, allow for you to hear our voices, that's not so that you can just listen that's meant to encourage and support the congregation singing these words, singing this truth. Part of how you love your brother and sister in the church is singing. Consider that. Now you might be thinking, oh, but I don't have a good voice. It doesn't matter. God didn't say, unless you don't have a good voice, right? My dad used to say, it's not a question of whether you have a good voice or not. It's whether you have a good song. And Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you have a good song to sing. All right? We are all called to participate in this singing. Now, what do we sing? Well, Colossians 3, which is a very similar passage, says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So in our gatherings, we should aim to sing lyrics that help the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And in fact, that's part of how God has designed this whole thing. 
We are to hear the word preached, yes, and amen, and that's a priority. We are also to sing the words of Christ, to help them dwell in our hearts and our minds through what we sing, the words that we sing. Because here's the thing, music and singing are so powerful that we can sing them and we can sing words that are nonsense and still be impacted. I went with friends to the Coldplay concert last Saturday. Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 55,000 people. It was an amazing experience. It was so loud. My ears are still ringing from the experience. Powerful to hear 55,000 voices singing their hearts out. You know what thought I had a couple times though? What are we singing? Here are the lyrics. Lights will guide you home and ignite your soul. I will try to fix you. Okay. You are my universe and I just want to put you first. You are my universe and you make my world light up inside. All right. What gives those power is music and singing and melody. But here's the point. We can be very emotionally impacted by that. But in the gathered church, all of that is meant to support letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's what's most important. The words that we are singing. Because these words have ultimate power. These words actually lead to transformation in our lives if we let that be the case. Singing and music in the church are to support the words. And so when we gather, we're not just primarily about an emotional experience. Now, if you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and if you truly understand all that God is and all that he has done for you, you will be emotionally impacted. And if you aren't, there's something wrong with you. This is great news, right? But we need to understand that we don't pursue the emotional experience in and of itself. We pursue true knowledge and understanding about who God is. And that is the thing that then serves to highlight and strengthen what we're doing, what we're singing. And so our services are not the best when the music's the best, but it's when Jesus is most clearly exalted. Now, we want to have music that's excellent. We want to offer our praises to the Lord in an excellent way. But that's secondary to the fact that we are called by God to exalt Jesus. And so each of us have a part to play in that. So if I could just give a word of encouragement. When we come into the Sunday service, I love the fact that all of us are excited to see one another. And we're finding out how the week went. And we're getting our cups of coffee. And we're doing whatever else we do. I also think it's important for us to come into here and sit in your seat and be ready to lift your voice in song. Why? Well, because that's part of how we love and serve one another. We get to lift our voices together in song. So we encourage one another as we sing. 
And sometimes we need other people's faith for us to sing. One of the great perks of my job is I get to be up here and I get to watch people sing. And here are some of the most impactful things that I've seen. Successful business person, has everything he could ever want in life. Singing, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. A man or woman struggling with sexual sin saying, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Those who lost a loved one singing, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. Every Sunday, people around you are singing with faith the very words that maybe you need to be singing with faith and yet don't have the faith to sing. And by looking and observing them, it can provoke your faith. It can strengthen your faith. So I encourage you to, to look around, not awkwardly, but to discover that there is a group of hundreds of people here who are filled with the Spirit singing to the Lord and to one another. Second way we're encouraged, we sing to the Lord with our hearts. It says that in verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, this is not a different command from addressing one another, but it's another angle to view it. The words that we're singing are directed to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't sing to one another. Doesn't doesn't mean that we don't address one another. But it does mean that we're here to exalt not ourselves, but the Lord. We're here to exalt God. And, and so that's what we're called to do when we gather together. And in doing that, we actually experience the most encouragement to, to remember and discover that life is not just about me. Living in my skull-sized kingdom, growing smaller by the day. No, life and the ultimate aim in life is about God and his greatness and his glory and glory to God. You are now connected to him through Jesus. That is what we're doing. We're singing to the Lord. And we're supposed to do this with our hearts. And what this means is our whole being. Each individual person is to engage in worship to the Lord. Now, quick note or word about expressiveness, expressiveness in our singing. I love the way this church sings. Each and every Sunday I come and I'm encouraged by your singing. You sing with faith and, and joy and you, you encourage me and hopefully many other people. Now, one of the ways I think we can continue to grow as a congregation is what it means to engage with the lyrics that we're singing. There's an engagement that comes from understanding who the Lord is that should evoke physical response. The Bible is full of physical expression, clapping, singing, bowing, kneeling, lifting hands, shouting, playing instruments, dancing, standing in awe, just to name a few. And these aren't just cultural expressions, although some of them could be that, but it, it points to what God 
has done in creating us as not just spiritual beings, but physical beings. We're not just voices, we're, we're bodies. And, and so when I am engaging with the truth about who God is and what he's done, then, then I, should, I should show that, express that with my body. That's the way God made us, right? We're, we're physical beings. And so when I'm, when I'm happy or, or excited, you know, I, I might raise my hands or I might clap or I might shout or, or something like that. Why? Because I'm crazy? No, because I'm a physical being. I, I, I'm expressing, I'm engaging with whatever it is. If my child is hurt and needs care and attention, I, I reach my hands out. I don't, I don't just stand here waiting for them to come, right? We're, we're physical beings. And, and so I think that God wants to continue to, to push us in how we are engaging with the words and the truths that we're singing. It should evoke a physical response. Now, I'm not saying that all of you have to lift your hands or clap or shout or whatever you're thinking right now. What I am saying is that God is worthy of all of our worship. Through our lips, through our lives, with our bodies. And so that looks differently for different people. Some people it may be singing with faith, with the hands by the side. For some people it's raising their hands. For some people it's clapping. For some people it's shouting. For some people it's sitting in quietness as you reflect on the words. Engagement. But don't give yourself a pass that if words are passing out of your mouth, that therefore you are engaged with what we're doing. God has called us to to participate. Now, one, one last argument that I hear at times from people, I'm just not, I'm not an expressive person and what if I don't feel it? Well, John Piper helps us here. This is what he says. The heart can be real even if it is not as inflamed with zeal as it ought to be. And then he adds this, which it never is in this life. What's his point? His point is that our lack of desire in coming into our Sunday gathering or some sort of gathering does not mean that we shouldn't sing. It means that we should. And, and part of our singing can be a, a confession to the Lord, a, a prayer to ask him to help us to sing with faith. God encourages us as we sing to him with our whole hearts. And finally, God encourages us as we sing, as we give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our singing as Christians should have a distinct tone to it. Gratefulness. Gratitude. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't or shouldn't lament or, or sing songs of reverence. But what it does mean is that, friends, what we're doing in singing to the Lord is an incredible privilege. The source of all good, the, the God who owns and controls and rules this world has invited you to come. And to sing to him. 
At every moment that we sing, we're responding to God's grace in and through Jesus Christ. You know, oftentimes at the beginning of the service, I'll say something like, you're not doing God a favor by coming here. You're responding to God's gracious invitation to you. And so we should give thanks to the Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I shouldn't be able to sing to the Lord. Because our hearts are not pure. Our lips are not pure. Our minds are not pure. We can't give God the glory that he deserves. But he invites us to. Because we have a high priest whose name is Jesus. We have a great mediator between God and between us that has forever pronounced victory. And that's what we get to celebrate each and every Sunday. God invites us to come in and he invites us to consider for a moment that Jesus took the penalty for all of your sins, for all of your rebellion. And so now you can come and do what ultimately your whole life is designed to do. Give glory to God. And he receives it with pleasure, not because we're pure, not because of what I've done or haven't done, but because he sees the perfection of Jesus. That Jesus is the one who is actually enabling our praise to God. And so, friends, we should sing with gratefulness with thanks in our hearts because the Lord has done great things. And so as we consider as a church what it means to obey the Lord, relating to one another, let's sing. Let's sing to one another. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given us a song to sing. How merciful, Lord. How kind. How undeserved. There are so many other songs that our lips have sung. And yet, Lord, even now we, we confess that our greatest song, our really only song, is the song that you've given us to sing that proclaims that death is forever defeated, that our sin has been paid for, and that through Jesus, we have eternal hope, eternal life. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.